Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello, welcome to Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong, and this is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all so thankfully without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, our guest is Dave Gleason. Along with Les Paul, Leo Fender is widely known to be one of the two fathers of the modern electric guitar. Leo's Stratocaster model, still made today by the company that bears his name, is one of the most iconic designs in music history. But before the venerable Strat, Fender created the Esquire, which later changed names to the Broadcaster and eventually to the Telecaster. Over the decades, this elegant but utilitarian block of wood and metal has become the standard issue instrument for country guitar players, so much so that hot country guitar players are commonly referred to as telepickers. Dave Gleason is just the sort of picker who exemplifies today's brand of amped-up, anti-establishment country with both style and substance. But there's more to his story. In the late 1960s, a couple musicians and tinkerers figured out a way to modify the Telecaster by routing out the backs of the instrument and installing a set of springs and levers that would allow players to bend strings and faithfully reproduce the lonesome, weepier, pedal-steel-style licks that are the hallmark of country and western music. With this invention, the B-Bender Tele was born, and with it a whole new style of playing. Gleason is also adept at this rare kind of telepicking, and that puts him in high demand by country bands and audiences alike. He has a handful of solid albums that feature his writing and playing, and he's always busy on stage. So get out and see Dave Gleason play, and don't let that tear fall on your beer as you get up to hit the dance floor. Welcome to Independence Day, Dave Gleason. Joe, it's it is good. my pleasure to be here. Thank you. No, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure to Thanks. have you. There's a lot of lot of pleasure going on, but it's great. <laughs> we know a lot of similar. We we know a lot of the same people, so I think it's interesting that this is the first time our paths have actually crossed. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation tonight because I feel like yeah. there's a lot of stuff we have to talk about. There's a lot of fertile ground in the stuff that we both know and love about music. Exactly. But first, you started out. Uh, you started out in the Bay Area, like yes. East Bay Area, mm-hmm. and then East Bay, San Francisco. And so you lived there until you were how old? Were you, you were an adult when you moved away? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd, uh, you know, I'd been coming down to L.A. and playing and touring for many years and uh, was always trying to figure out a way to, you know, at least move down here and, and become a, a real participant in uh, what was, uh, well, I, I still think it's a thriving scene, but what was a really thriving scene when I first started hitting down here, you know, with Mike Stinson and right. Randy Weeks and Tony Gilkison and... The whole cinema bar scene, I was just uh, dying to be a part of that. And yeah. when, I, when I would come down and play those venues and play with those people, I was immediately welcomed in, you know, like a part of the family. So Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty cool thing. Now, who were the people up there, like in your formative years? Like you're pretty much kind of a country guy now, mm-hmm. kind of listing into rock maybe just a little bit. But who were the, who were the artists that got you into playing when you were a kid? Was it, was it country artists back then, or did you start with rock and then kind of make the jump to something else? Like who made you want to play the guitar or be a performer in general? Well, you know, oddly, when I was a child, like literally five, six years old, I was a drummer. And, uh, you know, I, I guess I was good at that because by the time I was 10 years old, I was doing studio dates and things like that. But, uh, you know, at that age, I was very hung up on, you know, your kind of usual Led Zeppelin stories and whatnot. And also my father was a, um, a country guitar player, oddly a B-Bender player as well, a telly player. Two generations of B-Bender players. Exactly. But uh, and he never pursued it professionally. You know, he always had a uh, a day job, but would play 
what was uh, a scene that was available in the 70s, I guess pretty much everywhere in the U.S. probably, but uh, I can remember a circuit from Sacramento, maybe down to San Jose, that consisted of about maybe maybe a hundred plus honky tonk bars wow. that had music seven nights a week, almost like what Broadway in Nashville has these days. You know, literally doors open at six a.m., music starts at ten a.m. or noon, and just bands all day. Always live bands on the weekends, and I know that was big in L.A. as well. You know, yeah. San Bernardino and all. It reminds that. me of Texas, like the whole because you can be a songwriter in Texas and pretty much just tour in Texas. And, it's true. Ma- and make a living. Like you don't have to. I mean, they mostly go other places as well. Or most of them do, it seems like. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of bands that I, I'm, I'm guessing just kind of roll around in buses and old school buses in Texas playing these honky tonks over and over true. again. True. Yeah. If you choose to do that, yeah, you can. You can probably round up 200 dates a year just in Texas. You know, and especially if you're a, you know, a troubadour, yeah. Towns or Steve Earle kind of guy. You yeah. know, you can probably just throw your guitar and, in, in, you know, into a paper bag in the back of your truck and just drive around and Joe Ely. play. Exactly. All there's like a thousand Joe Ely's down there. Not it's I mean true. Joe Ely's great. It's not like there there can be more than one Joe Ely, but you get the idea. Exactly. Um and it's funny you should bring up Zeppelin because on the way over here today I heard two separate Zeppelin tunes on two separate stations. Mm-hmm. And this is totally completely off topic, but I I love Led Zeppelin now more than I ever have in my entire life because like I grew up listening to classic rock radio. You didn't even need to buy Led Zeppelin albums or the Eagles albums, or Beatles albums, because you, all you had to do was turn on the local classic rock station and they would play their whole catalog. You could probably find... Yeah, yeah all something. the time. So I just... I, Zeppelin kind of in, went in one ear and out the other, mm-hmm. and as I got older, especially in the last few years, I've appreciated it more and more, and now I go back and... I don't want to say study, but I go back and like really intently listen to it, and now I can appreciate it more than I ever have before. Yeah, yeah, I, I love those records. So fascinating. So then, so what then made you? What was the jump? Because I, I know what it is for me, but like, what got you into twangy music from like the classic rock stuff? It just always it it always stuck with me. Like the records that we had around my house when I was a kid. Uh, you know, besides your. You know, your usual Jerry Lee Lewis and, and uh, you know, a couple of Beatles records and whatnot. Um, we always had Merle Haggard albums, Buck Owens records, uh, Emmy Lou Harris records because they had, you know, either James Burton or Albert Lee playing guitar. Uh, those first three Rodney Crowell records on Warner Brothers, which all feature Burton and Albert Lee once again. But uh, something just got in me, just the quality of those songs and just the the quality of the guitar players on there i just i i knew that i would have to make that jump someday to uh you know kind of leave the drums behind and it, and you know hopefully that gave me some kind of substantial rhythm foundation or something like that but uh i don't know i just uh, there you just you just hear certain players and it really hits you uh albert lee did that for me james burton did that for me clarence white did that for me and tony rice for some reason those those guys just i just think they they just play it perfectly and there's also a Tons of other guys that I really love their playing, but those are the four guys that really got to me. And then, and then that song remains the same. Led Zeppelin movie, and just watching, getting to watch Page play those licks up close on my television. I, I think I, how that's really how I learned how to play guitar. He's so influential to so many players. You know, Eddie Van Halen points to Jimmy Page. Yes, you know, and so many players. I mean, I would guess uh, uh, what's his name from uh, Johnny Greenwood. I guess I'm guessing somewhere in there, he's got to be Page. 
Gotta it's, be. It's, it's, it all, it's, and he's he's got this reputation as a little bit of a sloppy player, and he kind of is in a way. Mm-hmm. Like he'll kind of gliss licks, you know, gliss licks together, and and but what he's playing is so brilliant that it doesn't matter. You know that if he's a little sloppy, that's totally cool. It's just rock and roll, man. But so in in your situation, you know, your dad was playing these records too. So was there ever any like? push back against oh that's dad's square music or was it because every family's different like some kids like they like their parents music until they get to a certain age and then they completely go they they hate their parents music because simply because it's their parents music right like did you dig it because it was your dad's music or were you ever rebelling against it and come back to it you know because it's it's there's so many people in our generation that are kind of urban or suburban kids who country is not their you know, bread and butter. It's not the mm-hmm. alpha. That's not what they started with musically, but then they got into it, myself included. Right. I just always liked the twangier Stones and Pink Floyd stuff. Like as soon as I started hearing the pedal steel and the the, the twangier stuff, the the crying in your beer stuff, it yeah, it really just somehow spoke to me. I don't. I can't really explain why. Yeah. Uh, likewise, it's just yeah. There's there's some kind of a there's just a quality to those. Uh, just to those songs and the stories and uh, almost the scenario that it that it paints, you know, it really. Uh, I, I put on any of those early Merle Haggard records, and it immediately makes me want to like drive to Fresno and find an old bar <laughs> and have a drink. Yeah. You know, it just it just it just paints that picture. It's funny, and I'm describing that really glamorous, and I'm sure it really is not and was not in the '50s. You know, like everybody. You always reflect on on the old days that you're trying to capture, but uh, you know, for for years in my 20s and 30s, when I was still living in the Bay Area, I would often drive out to Modesto and Stockton and up to Sacramento, and like I was really chasing what was left of the Bakersfield, you know, down the 99 to Fresno and Bakersfield, and uh, there's just really not a heck of a lot of that left. Yeah, it's all, all sports bars now, I would imagine. It really kind of is. There's there's always a good pocket of people who really like that stuff. There's a bunch of the players still left out there. Like, you know, I often play out in Fresno in that kind of area because I, I love that area and there's great folks out there and they still dig the music. But uh, every time I play out there, I'll, I'll once again find another person who, or I'll get to, you know, play with someone, you know, like, yeah, we got, you know, Waylon Brumley, you know, Tom Brumley's brother from the Buckaroos, you know, is in the house and wants to sit in, you know, something like that always happens out there. So, yeah, it's so Fresno is so funny to me because I go to Yosemite a lot. I'm a total Yosemite junkie. Uh-huh. And Fresno is the last place I gas up before I head into right. Yosemite from there. So like, I've, I've actually never really stopped in Fresno for any reason. I wait till I'm past the city. And then I stop and get gas and I go on to the the dirt and the mud and the mountains and the snow and the ice and the rocks and the stuff, but it's a cool town. One man. day, like one day, real, real California is still left there. Yeah, lots of old neon and lots of old uh, bars yeah. and business. You know, it's 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 one of my favorite places in California just for the history that's preserved there. And and growing up where I did in the Midwest, Fresno was merely the brunt of uh, Johnny Carson's jokes. Right, you know, Fresno. He <laughs> would exactly. always make fun of Fresno. They make fun of it in the movie Airplane too. Do they really? Yeah, there's a there's a quick. Fresno jab in there. Interesting. Well, in honor of this, <laughs> so this this is from your most recent record. This uh, must uh, turn and fade, which right. is how old? It's not super new, but it's, it's not a super old either. Old. I have a new old. one in the can that's coming out probably later this year or early next year. Okay. But this is from my my most recent record. Okay, cool. So this is Dave Gleason on Independence Day. We'll come back after this tune and talk more uh, with him and about him and what he's doing and what he's got going on. The new record, mm-hmm. history, what brought us to here. So this is the track "Blue Side of the World" from. Turn and Fade by Dave Gleason here on Independence Day. 
Dave Gleason on Independence Day, please drop by our website, indepthday.com, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com. You can see Dave's episode as well as uh, lots and lots of other artists we've had in here. We're, uh, we've done 80-plus shows now, so that's pretty cool, man. Excellent. Lots of people that I know and love, and uh, I'm looking forward to having more. So see, like I said, drop by indepthday.com. Also follow us on Twitter. Uh, I try to post some music stuff that's interesting there. In-depth day, Twitter, same kind of deal there. You know where, know where to find us. And this guy, Dave Gleason, you can find him at Dave-Gleason. Or is it a hyphen? Which which one is it? I guess it doesn't matter. I always say dash, but then... Yeah, yeah Dave, <laughs> Dave-Gleason.com. And he's got all kinds of stuff there, like most musicians. He's got his bio. He's got tracks you can preview. You can buy his mm-hmm. records. And he's got a handful of records out now. And there's something new coming out sometime soon. Yeah, I was shooting for this year, but that might not happen until early 2014, but that's okay. So in your case, everybody's got a different time cycle in terms of that. Like, what would prevent you from releasing this new record? Like, if it's in the can, like, mm-hmm. why, just out of curiosity, it's not a judgment call, but why Why would you wait? Uh, not not even a, a intentional wait, just kind of all the details that I have to sort out to get, you know, all the tracks are still out in Nashville where I recorded them. I still haven't mastered the record. Okay. Getting the, you know, getting the artwork rolling, this and that on top of trying to uh make some kind of a living out here. Yeah. You know, which is basically, you know, playing as often as I can. Are you full-time music? Yes. 100%. Mm-hmm. Cool. What was the last non-music job you had? Uh, well, I was a LP pricer for Amoeba Music for 12 years. Okay. That's but that a, is a music Music-ish. Job. music-ish. Before that, I worked at Trader Joe's, oddly, for a couple Did of years. you? Which was, cool. which was really awesome. I, I love that place. I still yeah. shop there once a week, and it's my favorite place in the world. But. I, uh, I met Trader Joe once. It was all I could... He, you know, he sold the company since then, so there's nothing I right. can do about it. But it's all I could do tonight. He's an old guy. Frail dude. But it was all I could do to not knock him into a broom closet and be like, why did you discontinue those chips? <laughs> Exactly. I you love those. Bastard. I love those chips. Every, I, it's almost to the situation now where I try not to fall in love with any product because as soon as I do, they're going to can it, and then it's going to be gone. And I can just list the stuff that they've discontinued that I love. It's so sad. It is. It is. It, you, it's like a shop at your own risk kind of place. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I guess that's what I love about it too. You know, it's, you know, if you, the thing about Trader Joe's, if you're going and you need those four items you cannot you shouldn't go to trader joe's because they might not have one of those four items and i kind of you got to kind of accept that once you've accepted that right yeah because you you can always go to ralph's and they have the exact same stuff at all times always exactly but it's less interesting so the trade-off is you get more interesting things at trader joe's it's just they may not be there when you go but the people are great stores great and and trader joe was very nice when i when i met trader joe and mrs trader joe i met his wife as well but back to music, now that we've discussed other California things. Um, so that's really fascinating that your father was a, a, a B-Bender player. Did, yeah. Did, you, did he show you – he must have showed you licks on the B-Bender then if you were playing around No, then. no. I, I, I took up my whole country guitar thing uh, long after my parents separated. Okay. You know, which is really, uh, really kind of funny. But uh, all that was there was just kind of remnants of – the record collection and, uh, you know, my dad getting in touch with Gene Parsons and having the B-Bender put in. And then when I had my B-Bender installed, you know, I called up Gene and he's just like, oh, I think I know your dad. You know, it was really, yeah. it was really funny. And I would, uh, a few of the guys that I ended up playing with in the Bay Area after I started getting out and playing live, uh, like uh, Joe Goldmark, the great pedal steel player out there who played on most of my records, uh, used to play in a band with my dad. 
So it was kind of a funny, uh, I was removed from it for quite a while. And then when I started really pursuing my uh, country music career, which was in my late 20s, uh, when I really started taking it seriously and trying to put records out, I ended up meeting all these all these cats up there who, you know, just like, oh, wow, yeah, you know. I think I remember rehearsing in your garage and you were like five years old. Yeah. You know, it was really funny. It must have gotten in there somehow because that's such a unique thing, the B-Bender thing. I mean, yeah. even a, this, I mean, most telepickers aren't B-Bender players. I mean, it's pretty rare. I mean, I know of it because I've been a player since I was a kid. But mm-hmm. it's it not, is rare. It's not, you know, I, you're probably one of the first guys I've met in person like I've, I had I, my old guitar player in Chicago had one, but he could couldn't play the damn thing. I mean, he could do a lick here, a lick there, but he never spent the time with it, like really learning how to play it. Like you have to do with something like a B bender. Yeah, you, know, you can't yeah. you can't just pick it up and go. Or maybe Brian Whelan can. That guy can pick up anything. Brian, yeah, Brian Whelan can probably play probably play better than me, even if he's never picked one up. I mean, he because he I adore him. I, I love Brian. He's one of my first guests on this show. I consider him a good friend. He could yeah, probably yeah. play this pen. Better than most people play. He could guitar. make something musical happen with that. I'm sure. Yeah, I love that guy. But uh, so, but with something like it's like it's what's like pedal steel on a small scale. I mean, right. let's let's give people a primer or a primer, as I like to say, mm-hmm. out there in radio land. Like uh, you know, a Telecaster. You know, pretty traditional looking. I'm talking for the layman here. The pretty uh, normal looking electric guitar, mm-hmm. one of Fender's prime models, and then you route out the back. Like you can cut a considerable amount of wood. Yeah, like the, a quarter of the back yeah. is routed out. Yeah, a lot of the back. So you wouldn't know it from looking at the front of the guitar, other than the little thing back down by the bridge. Right. But you wouldn't know that it was a B-Bender guitar from the front. But they route out a considerable amount of that, mm-hmm. and they put a bunch of springs and levers and, and gears and whatnot. Not gears, but, uh, you know, mechanical hat, what, you know, whatnot. Right. And then attach the strap button where you put the guitar, the strap on, you know, mm-hmm. the front one by the guitar neck, so that when you push down on the neck, it changes the pitch of a string while you're playing. Yes. That's the big shtick. Yeah, you pull down on the neck. And, yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't take a lot of great force, but you do have to put a little effort into it, and it yeah. acts as a as a uh, like a, a lever on a pedal steel right. guitar. And it raises the pitch of that string a yeah, whole step. A whole step. And you know they make other permutations of this with the G bender and other strings too, but the B is the most in the rare world of B bender of bending instruments, the B is the most prolific as I understand it at least. It is and it's the it's the it's the string that uh Without one, the the bends are, you know, you can access a lot more weird bends with yeah. the bender. It you know? does the most for you, yeah. b- being on the B string. Exactly. And th- that's what that's based on, the pedal steel guitar. If you watch a country band, there's a guy sitting there with a, a double neck or single neck instrument that he plays like he's almost typing. And this is for, again, this is for non-music types. I'm trying right. to be as general as possible talking about, because you're a rock fan, you may not even know what a pedal steel guitar is. So you sit at it and mm-hmm. there's no frets. You have a bar in your left hand and you pick with your right hand and there's no frets and you move the bar up and down on the strings. But that's just the start of it. If you watch their knees and their feet, they've got all these levers that they push back and forth, left and right with their, with their knees. Mm-hmm. And they've got pedals on their feet that raise, it changes the pitches. You could change all these different tunings while you're playing. Imagine playing a piano while the tunings are changing constantly while you're playing. Exactly. It's like playing a piano, playing a guitar, and driving a stick shift car at the same time is what playing pedal steel is like. Yeah, it's a very involved instrument. It's amazing. Yeah, it's fascinating. I love, once you figure out how people play it, I can't stop watching pedal steel players. I love it. Yeah. Um, And the B-Bender gives a little taste of that, you know, back in in the late 60s. 
pedal steel guitar was very prevalent, as it is now in country music. Yep. So the guitar players in the band wanted to kind of ape those licks and be able to kind of fill in a little bit, you know, cop those licks. But they exactly. couldn't really do it. They couldn't get that really weepy sound, that moving pitch bending sound. And they could bend with the frets, but it's not the same thing. Your intonation gets all whacked out. Yeah, it's so, just a different it, – It's there's something so different in your fingers, like flesh bending the, the notes or – a you know something mechanical or steel bending the notes you know it's a completely different thing and i've had i've met plenty of folks you know great guitar players who are like oh you know i can do all that b bender stuff with my fingers pretty easy and they usually can but you know yeah they usually can but it's still not the same yeah so what i want to do i want to play a little bit of a track by clarence white here just to yes. give people an example of what this sounds like so this is a track called cuckoo bird from his record clarence white <laughs> and is it and white lightning how does that does that work you know it's actually an everly brothers song okay um from about 1968 or 69 gene parsons is on drums and banjo clarence white is doing all the lead picking and b bending yeah. and then uh, phil and don everly Mm-hmm. Uh, are singing, of course, and playing acoustic, but uh, it's from a Clarence White compilation CD. Yeah, and those first two guys that you mentioned, Gene Parsons and Clarence White, are essentially the guys who invented the B-Bender mechanism. They did, yes. As Clarence had the idea, known. and Gene uh, could realize it. Yeah, so they're, they're kind of team musically, mechanically, and I'm, I thank God they did it too, because what a cool sound. So let's yeah. give a little bit of this. Maybe not listen to the whole thing. Let's hear a little bit of this. This is Cuckoo Bird, Clarence White on Independence Day. Okay, so you can see right here, we'll keep this playing, but he's all over the place with this B-Bender, right? All over the place. Because he's, as he's playing... He's, Laying the groundwork. Yeah, he's, he's writing the, the code for future B-Bender players. He invented the thing. Yes, literally. So let's listen, listen a little more here. You can just hear him ducking in and out and doing the classic country thing and um, mm-hmm. doing doing the B-Bender thing, man. And yeah, it's Kind of call and response. Call and response. With it, you know, the best that he can. Yeah. And, I mean, what a cool thing. I mean, how many people can say they, like, invented an instrument and how you play it? Exactly. You well, know? Clarence White changed the uh, country guitar world twice with his uh, acoustic work in the Kentucky Colonels, which is... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I would bet nearly every bluegrass flat-picking guitar player... 70s, 80s, current would have to cite Clarence White as like one of the main influences or like, you know, yeah. oh, the first time I heard Clarence pick that acoustic, 
you know, usually it's Clarence and Doc Watson who kind of yeah. came up with that stuff. But uh, Clarence really had a big impact, and especially on people like uh, Tony Rice. Yeah. And we're at a place now where, you know, we've lost some of these guys already, but there's a few of them still hanging around. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're, we're losing these icons, you know, as time passes on, as they get older. So it's, I think it's very interesting how it's, going to, how it's going to play out down the road as we do lose them. And it becomes, becomes the stuff of, I mean, it's already the stuff of legend, but you can't, now you can call up the legend and say, hey, man, <laughs> you know, how did you do that lick? You it's know? true, yeah. And when they're gone, they're gone. You know, we've got their legacy, we've got their recordings and everything, but it's always something changes in time once those people go away, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I'm curious to see what's going to happen with that. You know, and, and the legacy of B-Bender, we keep talking about this B-Bender thing, but it's just so fascinating to me. Like, you know, people have heard people have heard this on rock stations. They just don't really know they're hearing it because uh, Jimmy Page, we referenced Zeppelin before. All of my love. Did a bunch of tracks. Yeah. The hook of, of that. Uh, yeah. Dave Edmonds. Uh, used to be bender on quite a few tracks. Yeah. And I think Albert Lee played on some Edmonds records. Yeah. And then Mike Campbell, Tom Petty's guitar player, is all over the Echo record. Yes. With B Bender. And the is, Mud Crutch record. And the Mud Crutch record. So it's out there and you hear it. And once you once you know what to listen for, it's pretty it's fairly obvious. I mean if it's a guitar player it jumps right out at you. Right. But I imagine you could probably figure it out, you know, if you weren't a musician type. Um and so when you went to, like, how long were you playing Telly, you know, lead stuff before you got a B-Bender? Like, how far into your career? Were you, did you start off, like, as a B-Bender player, or did you pick it up along the way? Uh, picked it up along the way. It, uh, I think I got one maybe when I was, like, 31 or 32 years old. So, you know, 10, 12 years ago, something like that. I kind of, I just kind of figured it You're giving it was, out your age, Dave. Exactly. I know. I mean, two, three years ago. Yeah. Like Last summer when <laughs> I got my B-Bender. <laughs> I just, I don't even have, I'm kidding. No. Um, yeah. Um, I, I, there was many aspects of my career that I wanted to kind of figure out. You know, I'm, I wanted to get into, you know, writing my own stuff and I wanted to just, just get a little bit more comfy with what I was trying to do. And uh, I think I just kind of, it like can often happen. I think I just woke up one day and just thought like, oh man, that, that's what I should, you know, I should get into that B-bender thing now. I think yeah. I'm feeling confident enough in this, you know, in in what I'm doing now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I literally just uh, got a hold of Gene Parsons up in Mendocino. The OG. It is true. He's still out there. Look him up. Uh, I believe his, his website is pullstring.com. Which was the original name. Yes, the pull For the B-bender, the pull string. Right. The Parsons White Pull String, P-U-L-L String, right? Exactly. And they tend to, I wonder how they changed the name. I guess it makes sense if it's a B-bender. It makes sense. Almost, yeah, almost like that was the nickname, and it just kind of stuck. Yeah. Indeed, well, like a Xerox, people, that's those words where a Xerox is a trademark name, but you say, go Xerox this, even though it may not be a Xerox machine you're using. Exactly. In, in the vernacular, it becomes whatever people call it. Right. So let's um, let's have you play a tune live in the studio sure. here. And sadly, you do not have a B-Bender here tonight, I do not. But you're going to play some new tunes for us somewhere. Maybe this one or one of the other ones you'll play for us. Yeah. Yeah, I've got some uh, got some new stuff to debut, perhaps, and uh, and I've got a handy little list here of some okay. some ideas. So what uh, what are you going to uh, play for us first here, Dave? I think I'll start out because I was working on working up this one today. This is kind of an older one, but uh, it is from my uh, Turn and Fade record. Okay. And uh, on the Turn and Fade album, I did this as more of a uh, 
one of those kind of really burnt out Neil Young, uh, Tonight's the Night style numbers, but uh, I'll do it the way that I initially wrote it, which is more of a Dwight Yoakam shuffle kind of thing. It's fun how your own music can change over time. You come back to things, and I've, yeah. done, I've done things on, I, I almost put the same song on two subsequent records because I, I played it with one band in Chicago, came out here, and then liked that version better. Mm-hmm. But then I ultimately decided I couldn't put the same exact song. Even though it's a different version completely, different key and everything, I just I couldn't bring myself to put the same song on two. Maybe I'll put it on the next record. Anyway. I know what you mean. What's this called, Dave? This is called The Neon in the Wine. All right, The Neon in the Wine, Dave Gleason. One of those uh, old honky-tonkers yeah. friends. Very happy to have him on Independence Day. Well, when the lights go on and shine low and reflecting in the warm red wine, yes, I come home to this bar room where I Exercise, yeah, the neon will end the night light. Yeah, that's where I'm lending my time since I.
There's that old grand old Opry chord there, so you know it's over. Dave Gleason here on Independence Day. He is my guest. Very, very happy to have him live in our studio tonight. You can hear him tomorrow night and uh, subsequent Thursday nights at the Redwood here in Los Angeles through July. Exactly. Uh, doing a residency there with the Dave Gleason Trio. Yes. And why uh, why a trio? Because it's I think it's always an interesting choice when people choose to play as a as a trio because it, it's it's a very different experience than having a four piece band or more. It is, yeah. You know, the police were a trio, but it leaves a lot of empty space that you have to fill. Right. I'm assuming uh, it's you, drums and bass. Exactly. Yes. Uh, my good pal Steve McGallion drumming and uh, my pal Greg Boez playing bass. Both Dave Alvin alumni. Okay. And, uh, yeah, me singing and, uh, you know, playing that Telecaster. Uh, yeah, the trio thing, perhaps, you just got to work up to it is, is all I can think. Because I tried to do it about 10 years ago, and, I, and I, I did not feel comfortable with it. And now it's making perfect sense to me, and yeah. I, really, I really enjoy it. It's a very, like I said, it's, it's a, I don't do it because it's more work. You know, it's, as as the front man, right? You're doing all the soloing, you're doing all the singing, like you're the prime contact with the audience. You know, mm-hmm. uh, unless you're like a super power trio, like Cream or something like that. Most players don't have that kind of, or I say players, most ensembles don't have that kind of wall of amplifiers behind them to Very do true, that. Yes. It's a much different experience. Uh, or Rush, I guess, is the same kind of deal. <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to think of famous trios that yes, I, I know in history. And they have the, all the different experience. Like the police are kind of minimalist in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but the trio is a different thing. Different thing. You have to, yeah. you have, to be, have to be up for it. And you have to be up for it. I, I really enjoy it. I, di- I didn't think I would, but uh, for some reason I just started thinking like I, I've got to – it's like another notch in my belt or something. Like I had to, I had to make that work at some point in my life. Yeah, and uh, and luckily with these guys, it's it's really really easy. You know, yeah. I'm just having the time of my life with it. I, I love it. And musical growth is a very good thing. You yes, know, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone to do something you wouldn't normally do is it keeps us valid as artists. I think. Yeah, yeah. So so kudos Hopefully. to you, man. Good thing. I, Thanks. I would. I hope I get a chance. I would love to come out and see one of those shows. But tomorrow night at the Redwood here yes. in Los Angeles, the Dave Gleason Trio. So for uh, you strike me, you know, when you're a B bender player and you're you're kind of a hot picker such as you are. Well, I'm going to bestow. Oh, thank you. Going to bestow that title upon you. Uh, <laughs> You know, we here at the bestower of such titles. Um, you strike me as the kind of guy who like practices, like actually sits down and practice. Am I off on that, or are you kind of a noodler, or like how do you how do you keep adept on your instrument? Uh, boy, well, luckily I play live often. You know, it, you know, two three times a week it seems I'm out there doing something. I go in phases. To be honest with you, I wish I. I wish I had the discipline that I really practiced more, but I but I don't. Usually, I practice when I have to learn someone's uh, sets. You know, when someone sends me yeah. four sets of music to learn, and once I do start sitting down and it's in my fourth hour of playing at home, I really start to think like, God, I don't know why I don't do this all the time because yeah. I feel you know, you know, I, I feel very comfortable doing this. But I, I wish I did. I wish I practiced more, but. Uh, it's almost like if something strikes me, like oh, you know, I've got to, I've got to figure that out or something like that. Then I'll then I'll definitely sit down and then I'll definitely pull out those Albert Lee records or something like that. Yeah. Pull out those Danny Gatton records and be like, all right, you know, here we go. I got to, you know, try to, you know, stick my head inside the speakers and figure this stuff out. Yeah, and as you evolve as a musician, I find you don't do that as much as you did. Like when I was a kid, you know, that's what I would do. 
I would yeah. sit around for hours and days, weeks, and just play along everything that, along with everything that came on the radio. Mm-hmm. I'd figure out as much of it as I could as it passed. And then when the next Kong song came up, the next Zeppelin tune came up, try to figure out as much of that song as I could, you know. Yes. And then there were other songs that I literally dissected and studied and learned every bend and every pull-off and every little lick. And when you get older, you just don't I, – I don't do that anymore. Like you kind of become whatever it is that you are. Mm-hmm. But I think it's – I don't know. I mean I wish I had the discipline to do that more too because I think it would push me into new new places. Yeah. You know. I find uh, – you know what, what I'll do more often and, uh, and not that I think I am – anywhere near as good or sound anything like these folks, but depending on what gig I'm going to do, I'll almost, uh, like my my music that I'll listen to on the way, I'll almost put on something to give me, almost like give me an idea or a feel. Yeah. You know, if uh, you know if I'm going to do like an, an acoustic singer-songwriter guy thing, I'll, I'll listen to Towns or I'll listen to Jim Lauderdale. If I'm going to go play guitar for someone, I'll put on some, you know, something with Albert Lee on it. You know, just, just something to kind of just feed my mind a little bit as opposed to... As opposed to sitting down and learning, you know. Yeah. As opposed to the the discipline aspect, which I really should have more of. That's almost like it's like, yeah, you know what I do is I put a Towns Van Zant record under my pillow the night before. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you learn <laughs> it by osmosis. Yeah. Do you do you wake up with a hangover if you put a put a Towns Van Zant record <laughs> under your pillow, even if you haven't had anything to drink? I imagine you might. I wake up in the front yard and I don't have any idea how yeah, I got there. Without any pants, like exactly. one one and cowboy I've, boot, the other one's in a tree. And I've traded, yeah, my guitar is gone because I lost it in a card game. And a woman you didn't a woman you don't even you've never even met has left you and <laughs> taken all your stuff. Uh, anyway, well, you know, in 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 theory in, in light of that, I want to play this is some Emmylou Harris. You brought along a few CDs of things yeah, that you yeah. considered to be like kind of formative for you or things Definitely. that inform what you do. Yes, holy so, grail material. Yeah, the holy grail material. We want a desert island stuff. We won't spin the whole tune, but I want to just kind of play a little bit of this and we'll talk about it while it's playing. But let's first let's give a listen to Emmylou Harris, the legendary still with us. Plays every year at Hardly Strictly. She's the big headliner. I go every year. Uh, but I'm, I'm sad that Buddy doesn't play with her now as much. Oh, I think like he's he just doing so well that, yeah. you know. Last year, because two years he's ago. He's king of the world now. Yeah, two years ago, he, Buddy Miller we're talking about. Yes. He was just in town. I just saw him. Um, yeah, he was here with Lauderdale, right? No, no, he, uh, with, uh, not, uh, was it Lauderdale? Yeah, Buddy and Jim. Yes. Yes, the Buddy and Jim show. Um, so, uh, but this is Emmy Lou, and But Buddy, two years ago, played her whole set. And then last year he didn't play on her set at all. And I'm, I mean, Emmy Lou's great by herself, but like Emmy Lou and Buddy together is like pretty serious. Talking Holy Grail again. Yes. So, but this is the track Luxury Liner. Let's give a little spin of this. Uh, Dave Gleason brought this into our studio tonight. Luxury Liner, Emmy Lou Harris, her in Independence Day. Hey Dave, so what what is it about this? Uh, what what I love about this, well, it's a, it's one of my favorite Graham Parsons songs, uh, who I'm a, of course a huge fan of. Love his whole catalog uh, that he's been involved in in, a, in his very very brief time. But uh, this is an old uh, International Submarine Band track from Graham's first uh, country rock album. But they they you know took the the tempo of Graham's version and and like tripled it, and then let Albert Lee just completely Tear burn it up. just burn that telecaster all through it 
Yeah, do you know the uh, Broke Down in Bakersfield guys? Oh, yeah, Tim Bloom and his wife, Tim right? Tim Bloom and his wife, and then... Yeah, the Mother uh, Hips guys are, are very, very old friends. And then, oh, wait, here's the solo. Let's listen to this. And the Albert Lee, you said? Yeah, Albert Lee. The great Albert Lee. The great Albert Lee. He's still with us, and he lives in Calabasas. Does he really? Yeah, he still picks around... Uh, He's well, he's he's played on one of my records. He he does gigs uh, up in the Ventura area and Calabasas area. It's kind of like living in New York in the '90s, because Les Paul would play at uh, Iridium like every Monday night. Yeah, exactly. You just roll in and see Les Paul, the guy who invented multi-track recording. Yep, the one of the two fathers of the modern electric guitar as we know it. Uh, just a genius human being, good human being too. You know, this it's mm-hmm. I, I don't know why this is kind of a macabre thing, but I feel like like I, it's palpable to me that we're going to be losing these people, like the Zeppelin guys. The remaining Zeppelin guys are are getting up there, and yeah, man. Uh, you know, the next twenty years is going to be hard to bear if you're a rock fan or a country fan. I think it's true, but it's we're true. well, we just lost George Jones, and that does yeah. uh, that's a major impact right there. Um, but you know, what, you know, but the good thing is, I had to sound hokey about it, man. But we've got. We've got new people, young people, younger people, mm-hmm. at least carrying the torch, man. So yourself, so yes, thanks. Such for as trying. you, so so do keep keep at it. You know, it's it's a it's a hard, it's a big yoke to carry. Yes, you know, when you look true. at these guys, and I feel like we're standing on the shoulders of giants. But sooner or later, we'll be giants, I guess. Or we'll we'll be given the keys, exactly. Whether we screw it we'll up, we'll be or given not. the shoes anyway. <laughs> One of Towns Van Zant's boots, at least. <laughs> How about uh, about another live tune, man? You've got this uh, beautiful J two hundred, by the way. I'm going oh, to have to get a picture of that and put it up on the website. What is this going to be? I think I'm going to try to debut one of my new uh, numbers here. And uh, when I was still living in Nashville, I cut this new record that I'll have coming out. Uh, I cut with uh, Marty Stewart's band, The Fabulous Superlatives, who I was very lucky to. Uh, you know, those guys kind of took me under their wing out there and were very nice to me. And uh, Kenny Vaughn, their guitar player, produced my new record. And then Harry Stinson and Paul Martin played on it. And uh, Gary Carter, their steel player. So I really lucked out with that. So I'm very proud of this record. And here's one of the songs that we did on the new record that'll be out sometime. That'll be out ASAP, put it uh-huh. that way. And what's this called? This is called Was Like a Dream. All right. Dave. And uh, this is the first time that I'm going to ever play this one live on the radio. World premiere. World premiere. Tune in, folks. Dave Gleason here on Independence Day. Looking back to see How you stood by me It was like a dream could awake me Now I keep away and try just a little less to find what I believe Yeah, looking back to see It was like a dream You take a part of what you give and you keep that tangled up within you It's no way to live From why you're not well from too much time It's keeping what's inside on the line Yeah, you were full of fire 
And I won't deny Another place in time Will always remind Now I stay away And try just a little more To make myself believe Yeah, looking back to see It was like a dream You break away from what's inside Is it safe to run away tonight? Well, that's no way to thing down it's the last night I'll hang around here with nothing left to find Yeah, you were full of fire And I won't deny Another place in time Will always remind Now I keep away And try just a little less To find what I believe Yeah, looking back to see It was like a dream Take a part of what you give and you keep that tangled up within you. It's no way to live. Shooting every good thing down. It's last night I will hang around here with nothing left to find. Now looking back to see. It was like a dream Looking back to see It was like a dream Dave Gleason, The Exemplary, here on Independence Day with a brand new tune, man. That's always cool. I love it when people do that. They debut songs on the show. Yeah. And I love new tunes because music, you know, we've got like 12 chords and like two or three tempos that are practically used for popular styles of music. But right. Yet, but yet new songs just keep tumbling out of people everywhere all the time. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, and I have to say, you know, there's just high praise coming. That's a little Tom Petty in there. Oh, good. And Thanks. I am a huge Tom Petty fan. Me too. And, you know, anytime you can get, I mean, even accidentally, I mean, we're not imitating exactly, but, I mean, he's kind of a, I mean, talk about an icon in our genre. Oh, man, you yeah. Know, there, there are a few people doing it better for as long as he's done it. Then you figure the Beatles had a short run, you know, just 10 years tops. It's true. You know, and, uh, you know, other people, Graham Parsons wasn't here very long. Tom Petty has been good, and I mean really good, since he started. Exactly. He's weathered disco, like multiple permutations of metal. Exactly. <laughs> uh, MTV. MTV, just, MTV every, everything. grunge, pop, 
you know, British stuff, and he's just still out there doing it, and he's as good as anybody ever was, as far as I'm concerned. So, so yeah. kudos to you, man. To Thank have, you. To have some petty mixed in there. Thank and you. We've got a little time to talk about this, and I want to get one more tunes out of you squeezed in here before we run okay. out of time. But first, Great. I need you to tell me about the Nashville experience, because about three years ago, you up and picked up your California roots, and you set yes. them down in Nashville. Now, a lot of people... You know, that's a logical thing for a guy like you to do. Mm-hmm. But now you're back in California just three years later. You spent a couple years there, right? Yes, almost uh, two years on the dot. Two years on the dot. Mm-hmm. So tell me what precipitated the move. How did you find Nashville? I mean, not literally, you know where it is. But how did you find <laughs> the city of Nashville when you were there, you know, to your liking or not liking? And then what brought you back to L.A.? Well, you know, it was really... It was really time to come home back to California, to be honest with you. But uh, you know, once you're, it's just it's just so different. And I I find something good and great in in every part of the country. But uh, you know, when you're kind of raised out here, it was it was just a little too different for me, perhaps. But even though I really dug it, and the neighborhoods were cool, and the people were great, the musicians were incredible. But um, I found it. Uh, very, you know, interesting, interesting, interesting in in good and kind of not so good ways. Um, I I found it nearly impossible to break into like the you know the songwriter world there or the studio world, and I found myself uh, and really enjoying it. But I found myself down on just kind of the Broadway strip, you know, playing in the in the tourist bars and the honky tonks, and that's and that's fine. And that's a, a way that you can make some money and you can meet a bunch of folks and and uh, I don't know if if you if, if it works out for you and, and that's what you want to do you can do that seven days a week and pretty much make a halfway decent living which you cannot do out here so yeah. that was very appealing. Um, there's just so many artists out there that that I've idolized for years. You know uh, Kenny Vaughn and Marty Stewart, uh, Rodney Crowell, you know folks like that. Uh, Jim Lauderdale. Well, Jim was out here for a while, but he's yeah. he's kind of almost like the unofficial mayor of Nashville at this point. But uh, it was it's almost just like a a, a step up in a in a different level of uh, players in a scene or something like that. That I just wanted to see if if I could go out there and, and participate in it and be a part of it and see what in the heck would happen. If uh, I would get to play with some of these guys that I really, you know, have followed my whole life or if I would never get close to it. And uh, I kind of did all of the above and it was it was really fun. But uh, it it just I think if I would have stayed another five years or something like yeah. that, you've, you've really got a that town is still it's very small and it's very insular and uh you know, if you if you want to get out there and start playing and be in the bar scene or in the just the music scene in general, you really it's almost like a full time job or a part time job to take it upon yourself to go hang out yeah. seven nights a week, which is true for every city. But like really, there you've got to be a face in the crowd, yeah. And you've got to be networking and hanging out. And uh, man, is there a lot of uh, there's a lot of incredibly good guitar players there. There's a lot of incredibly good singers and. Uh, and they all they all need quality backup people. So, like I think we were talking about before, the the bass players and the drummers and the steel players out there, you know, that's that's a that's a good angle to move to Nashville yeah. with. Man, you know? being a country bass player has <laughs> got to be the best job in the world. You know, yeah, it's four strings. 
you know, are they, are they, I guess I don't know. Are they SVT guys in Nashville or they're PV guys, aren't they? I think there's a lot of PV Bass players there. are PV guys in Nashville. So you, know, you got, you got your, whatever your standard issue PV rig and your P bass. And, you know, you figure as a bass player, you know, you show up and the rig's there probably in a studio or you play through a DI anyway. You don't have to schlep an amp around. Or the, or the bars, the, the Nashville, yeah. the, the, the bars on Broadway, uh, you know, Roberts and Layla's and all that, they pretty much have a back line, you know, drums and bass already sitting there. Yeah. In in varying levels of decay. Yeah. But but uh yeah, you can really, you know, you can park your car downtown and if you got a couple gigs, you know, and if you want to bring yeah. your amp, you just wheel stuff across the street. Man, I've, you know, I I've never packed to move to Nashville, but I've almost moved to Nashville several times. Anytime I think of uprooting myself, mm-hmm. that's on the short list of places like Austin, Nashville, uh, yeah. I don't know, maybe Boulder, maybe. I don't know. Just places I might like to just to be. Right. On Earth, you know, for various reasons. And, and you know, the barbecue's good, and I like the lightning bugs, and I like how green it is there in the summertime. Until you've experienced yes. that kind of green, like, you don't know. Like, Californians who have never been through a summer in the east, they don't know what green is. It's very true. It's, it's light green and lush all summer. Lush. And, you know, but it's, it's a very different culture, you know. And mm-hmm. to come from California and try to work your way in there uh, – you know, to come from Chicago like I did and try to work my way in there. I've played a few shows there over the years, and, mm-hmm. and I, I love the city, but you, I think you're right. You would really have to live and breathe it. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess I just wasn't prepared for that. To I wasn't prepared for that much of a commitment. You know, perhaps if I moved there when I was in my early 20s or something like that, but uh, I'd just already been playing California for 25 years yeah. at this point, it seems like, in various bands or, or my own thing that – Going out to Nashville is almost just literally just starting completely over. And it almost seems like no matter where you are, whether you're in L.A., San Francisco, Nashville, all these places we're talking about, Austin, Boston, New York, Mm -hmm. you almost just, regardless of where you are, you just have to do what you do. Because, you know, you've got like, let's use Nashville as as our example here. You've got Buddy Miller, Gillian Mulch, David Rawlings, who Mm -hmm. are there, live there, operate there. But they don't, they're not part of this machine. Yeah, very all. true. They're their own thing. And Steve Earle, when he was there, you know, Texas guy originally made his made his way in Nashville. Mm-hmm. You know, fell off the wagon hard, got back on the wagon in Nashville, rebuilt himself in Nashville. But then even he, he bugged out. He went to New York. Yeah. Um, and but but you can still exist. You know, Gillian and David are still there. Buddy is still there. And there's a lot of other cats still in Nashville who are just doing what they do. They're their own thing. They kind of fall loosely under the definition of country, mm-hmm. but they would do the same thing if they were in L.A. Or, or John Hyatt, he's there, actually. Another yeah, guy, Hyatt's there. Another guy, another example of that. But they just do what they do. Todd Snyder. Todd Snyder. Perfect example right and, there. And there's so many people. So if you're cool with that and you can do that, you know, somehow, mm-hmm. the usual combination of blood, sweat, tears, ridiculous amounts of work, and luck, and that's how you get somewhere in any city, I guess. Yep, yep, very true. You know, so anyway, I'm yammering about what I think needs to happen. I should be asking you these things. Um, how about uh, how about one more tune here before uh, before the clock runs out? Sure, sure, that sounds good. Why don't I do? Uh, I'll do one off a record that I put out a few years ago, uh, an album called "Just Fall to Pieces." Okay, is that the track name or the album name or both? It's a t- uh, both. Title track. Title track of the album of the same title. 
Just Fall to Pieces. Uh, and uh, I wrote this one with, uh, you know, a real big influence on me in as many eras, but uh, this one is always a big tip of the hat to Mr. Waylon Jennings. Ah, uh, yes, a good guy to tip the hat to. So once again, Dave Gleason is my guest on Independence Day. Drop by our website at indepthday.com. Drop by his website at dave-gleason.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at uh, Gleason underscore Dave. And uh, go see him tomorrow night at the Redwood and uh, subsequent Thursdays in June and July. Mm -hmm. So, so happy to have Dave here. And this is another tune from him. Well, I've gone about as far as I can make it. Given up all that I had left I know I should have never let you take it Oh, but now you're gone And I'll just have to face that And when did you just fall to pieces When did your heart just up and run Well I'd been living on the dark side Losing what once was mine When did your love just fall to I took every breath just for you, baby. And I gave you all of my soul. Well, I know someone else will get to hold you, my baby. Oh, and I could feel you slip right. Through my hands When did your love Just fall to pieces When did your heart Just up and run Well I'd been living On the dark side I've been losing what once was mine When did your love just fall to pieces? Now they're playing all the sad ones on the jukebox The ones about a love that went wrong Well that steel guitar loaded nearly breaks my heart Well I'm drinking Cause my world has come apart 
When did your love just fall to pieces? When did your heart just up and run? When did your love just fall to pieces? And when did your just up and around Well, I've been living on the dark side I've been losing what once was mine When did your love just fall to pieces, honey? When did your love just fall to pieces? When did your love just fall to pieces? Once again, Dave Gleason. So happy to have him in our studio Thank tonight. You. And another great tune, man. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I so, steamed up my glasses with that one. Yeah, I noticed that, Good man. heavens. That's good. That's a good thing. You're feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> it's real. Music's real, yo. Exactly. It's anyway spilling all over the floor here tonight, friends. That's no, a it's a good thing. And I'm check so, my shoes, <laughs> your boots. <laughs> exactly. Check your boots. They're wicked boots, by the way. Thank you. And uh, like any good rocker should have, or country guy should have, wicked boots. Wicked good, not wicked bad. <laughs> uh, in any case, you've got all kinds of gigs because you're a full time gigging guy. So yes. you've got you've got probably I'm looking at your schedule here. You've got maybe, I don't know, 15 or 20 shows between now and the end of July, it looks like. I've got a bunch of stuff with my outfits, and then I'm out playing guitar for other folks, you know, at your uh, your honky-tonks around town. Do you post those shows on your website as well when you're sitting with other people? You know, usually I do not on my website, but always on Facebook. Okay. You know, if I'm going to be at the Cinema Bar or the Cowboy Palace or the Swallows yeah. Inn, something like that. Yeah, because you're always out and about. Yes. Playing shows. Yes, as often as I can. Random question. Like, what's what's your average time that you wake up in the morning, being a guy that's a full-time musician? Uh, I, I love to be up in the mornings. So, uh, but I don't know. Average is, uh, you know, perhaps 9 a.m. Okay. Something like that. It's fairly reasonable. I think that's a pretty good, uh, you know, it's not too early and it's not, you know, losing the whole morning either. Yeah, yeah. Morning, mornings are nice, especially this time of year. My lord, California uh, is so beautiful this time of perfect, year. It's perfect. Yes, it's I mean, good. It's good coffee making. Uh, beautiful temperatures all year round. But God, do I love it this time of year here. So, but you know, some key gigs that we're going to jumping out at me here. You know, you're we've been mentioning this uh, this residency at the Redwood with your trio. Yes. So playing cream songs, all cream songs, of course. Only, only police and cream songs, and uh, and the Rush, of course. <laughs> Exactly. Do you know any Rush at all, <laughs> left over from your days of your? Not really. I can Not do that. Really. The, I can uh, do that intro lick to Spirit of the Radio, but poorly. So I'll spare everyone. Uh, but then other shows. That I are like ch- those guys, though. Yeah, yeah. They're, so, they're so, they've got their own. They're doing their own thing, and as long as you're doing your own thing, that's cool. Yes. Uh, also, you've got some cool dates out at Pioneer Town, Joshua Tree. Yep, always out, out at the Pappy and Harriet. Pappy and Harriet, which is a legendary venue for this kind of music. Yes. You can probably tumble in there any day of the week and find something good and play in, I imagine. It's true. It's true. It's, it's one of the real, you know, last treasures left in California that uh, the food's great, the place is authentic, the people who run the place are wonderful, Robin worth, and Linda. You know, worth just, the drive. The whole thing is is just 
fantastic. Yeah, worth the drive. And so you've got, like I said, these Redwood residencies. You've got gigs at Liquid Kitty here in L.A. You're playing at Tex at the end of June. Yep, got a gig uh, at the Tex. I love the Tex, man. I've played too. there a million times. Uh, you know, just Arcadia Blues Club, all kinds of stuff. And are, and are you booking your own stuff? Yes. Or do you? Okay. Yep, 100%. Unfortunately, I've been looking for help with that for years, and I just can't get it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> well, you know, if you're gonna anything worth doing is worth doing right, or so says Hunter S. Thompson. It is true. So, Dave, man, thank you. Thank you, for Joe. Coming it was a real and, treat and for me. Thanks. Spending time with us, keep us abreast of what you're up to, and let us know I when shall. the new record comes out. Definitely. Maybe so. we can persuade you to bring the band in here and do some B-bender picking one of these days. Yeah, next time you know, when the when the record comes out. Next perhaps. time I'll get I'll get my boys. Yeah, and as always, uh, Dave Dash Gleason.com is the best place to find out about him or Facebook.com slash Dave Gleason, it looks like is the place. It's a pretty easy name. It's Gleason G L E A S O N, right. by the way. Not like the not like the kids the high school show. Exactly. Like it's that good old Midwestern spelling. Yes, solid. The good old Wisconsin spelling. Indeed, he do. So thank you again to <laughs> Dave Gleason, also to the Independence Day staff, Del Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. And as always, to Valentina Rivero, Hector Lozano, and Miguel Florencio from Lancer Radio. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society for Independence Day. Enjoy the weather. I'm Joe Armstrong. Please be good to one another.